and welcome back to Jorge and John Talk About Soccer. Only one final game for us to talk about. A recap of the World Cup final. France winning 4-2 over Croatia. I am John Block, joined as always by Jorge de Neve. Yeah, um, kind of sad it's done. It was a month of soccer where everybody cared, so that's always nice to see. But now back to the club grind. Yeah, Champions League underway, uh, as I brought up before. Not too long before the actual season starts. Never, never a long time without soccer, really. But certainly nothing quite lives up to the, the stage and spectacle of the World Cup. And it is a bit sad now that we're past it. But we've still got some, some soccer to talk about. Still got to break down this final game. I just want to start, before we delve into the specifics, I want to, I want to start with this question, Jorge. Do you think this was a fair result given the game? Um, I think given the way the two teams set up and their game plans and basically how they've been playing all tournament, I think this was fair. Neither team really did anything different, and it just came down to individual errors, and I think Croatia tends to be the more error-prone team. So I, I think it was fair. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think... I definitely don't think France are, are not deserving winners. At the same time, I think that ha- had some things gone differently, you know, I don't think Croatia were, you know bad in this game by any means, and I don't think it would have been, you know, entirely against the run of player or entirely an unfair result for them to have come away with something. But I would say let's let's get it get into the specifics of the game and we can kinda parse out what went right and what went wrong for both teams. But I I mean I would say to start this game at least, Croatia looked the better team. Though those first fifteen minutes they had control of the ball. They were, you know, a lot more of the play was in France's final third than Croatia certainly, and they they looked like a team that that was hungry to to really go out and, and looked like they were on the front foot a lot more than France was. They were, but also they didn't actually create much in the way of chances. They were they were pushing, they were pressing very well, but they didn't really test Loris early. Um, so. Oh, while they pressed and while while they were hungry, it's their first final, whatever, I think the way Deschamps set up his team this game and the way they played, I, I think they're set up to make sure they don't concede because they know that all they really need is a good stretch of 15 minutes and their talented attacking players will win the game. Um, so I don't, I think Croatia looked the better team, but I don't think France was all that concerned given the amount of pressure they applied. Yeah, they certainly weren't concerned, you know, after 18 minutes when Griezmann goes to ground, a pretty clear dive. He, he's, I think the foul was called on Rebic, but, I mean, there really isn't any contact until Griezmann has practically already hit the ground. But the ref calls it a free kick, and then in what I believe is still being ruled as an own goal, Griezmann's free kick takes a glance off of Mario Mandzukic's head and goes into the back of the net, giving France a 1-0 lead. Yeah, it was a dive. And I think as people get more comfortable with VAR, I think they're going to expand the reviewable area to, I don't know, maybe a 30 yards 
or 35 yards from goal because those are the the set pieces that really are are legitimate scoring chances, especially as we've seen this World Cup. Because if the referee can take another look at that, that's a dive and probably a yellow for Griezmann because it, it was pretty blatant. It wasn't close. Um, I also don't get how it's an own goal, but that's more a, just general convention thing. But if, if VAR opens up a little bit, that free kick is never given. Yeah, so I mean... You know, even if they hadn't created a lot of chances up to that point, Croatia looked better and were definitely unfortunate to be behind 1-0, you know, given the circumstances of that goal, you know, both it being a dive that led to a free kick and then just the the own goal aspect going off of Mandzukic. But, I mean, they, credit to Croatia, they kept it up, they kept pushing, and they were able to get a goal, not as directly off a set piece, but still off a set piece, you know, a little scramble afterwards, and Perisic with a really nice touch and then a really nice finish across his body, uh, across the goal, into the back of the net. He, he he hit it well, and I think about five minutes before, I tweeted that he's maybe the most overrated player at this World Cup, and then he scores that. I still stand by my take, but um, kind of a hot takes exposed moment there. But anyway, French doesn't clear the ball. I think Versalico heads it, and then Manzoukic just stands in front of Pogba and prevents him from winning a header. It like comes off Vita's toe, and then it just pops out to Manzoukic, who takes one touch past Conte and and drills it. So, good goal, but set piece defending again was lacking. Yeah, and that's been a theme throughout this whole tournament. Really, it's you know been pretty bad. I'm curious. You know, it seems like. And I think you brought this up before. You've got not a whole lot of time to practice together as a national team relative to a club. So you know the tactics aren't quite as as advanced. The the teamwork isn't quite as gelled. But at the same time, the one thing that you think you know teams would practice would be defending set pieces. And yet, pretty much every team this tournament has had trouble defending them. Yeah, they're always always so vital. Maybe not so much in the past two World Cups, but I think. We saw in Germany 2006, the Italians' semifinal against Germany score from a corner. In the final against France, they scored from a corner, and Zidane scored his from a penalty. But it's, it's big. You know these are big scoring chances because you give a player a chance to basically send a free ball into the box, and you just have to track them. And I think all three first-half goals came from a free kicker or a corner being sent into the box. Croatia's because they defend it too deep, France because they can't clear it, and then the third one, um, which we're kind of getting to because Perisic loses his arm out and gives away a penalty. So I, I really don't understand why it's not a bigger focus for managers to make sure we will not concede on set pieces. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly been something confusing throughout this World Cup. I mean, who knows really why this happened? I mean, maybe it's a bit of luck. Uh, on offensive teams' ends, but I really don't think so. I think it's just a, a collective lack of, of being able to, to properly defend because really the defensive team should have the advantage on, on set pieces, and that clearly hasn't been the case for, for a lot of them this tournament. But but as far as that penalty goal, which gave France a 2-1 lead that you mentioned, I was initially not that convinced it was a penalty. I, I've since changed my mind being able to digest it. I mean... Perisic did leave his arm out. He was moving it to his body, but it was still out. It hit his arm as a penalty. I think what what more upset me about it was that's just two really unfortunate goals. And, and I mean, that one, the second one is a penalty, and 
you know, but it's not like Parasite really does anything wrong because I think he is moving his arm towards his body. I mean, I think, you know, there's not a lot he could do differently there other than play really conservatively. And, you know, I just think, you know, it's tough to really blame him for that a whole lot. At the same time, you know, it's, it's a more deserving goal for France in their first. It's just, you know, that was the last goal of the half. And I think, you know, if I were a Croatian fan, I'd feel really, really hard-pressed by being down 2-1 because they were the better team. And it's not like they were creating chances left and right, but they, I think they outshot France 7-1 to in that half because there was the one own goal, which didn't count as a shot for France. So I, I think, you know, that that's really tough for them. And I think it really set them off to be in a pretty tough spot, as we saw in the second half. Yeah, it definitely was. And I think beyond just the shots, I think France had 39% possession, um, which hurts when you have all sorts of attacking talent at your disposal. And then you basically just decide, all right, we're going to play a counterattacking game. It, it was like watching Jose Mourinho's Real Madrid or Manchester United right now in, in the sense that they have all this talent that's just kind of wasted and not cohesive because you have Griezmann who has not looked brilliant and Mbappe that really only looks good when he can get a long ball and, and run one-on-one. And Pogba was pretty much anonymous for the entire tournament until the second half. So it it hurt, and the penalty was also harsh, but, I mean, his arm was moving, you said it. It, it was a pen. VAR is back after not being used since the round of 16, basically, but I think Croatia being 2-1 down at the half really hurt them. Yeah, I, I mean, definitely it did because you saw them come out in the second half and they were down a goal only a half left to play, and it really forced the initiative onto them a little more, and you saw that they started to be more direct and to play faster and to be more open, and that's something where when you've got, you know, the, the any kind of quality players like France has on any team, it, you're always going to be vulnerable on the counter if you play that open, and I think you saw that, especially with Mbappe. There were a lot of times when France just kind of outlet passed to him, and, you know, he was one-on-one with Vida or Strinich, which is always a matchup that's going to be in Mbappe's favor. And I think also when you saw Croatia playing this way and and they had to cover more ground and play faster is when you saw the tired legs come in, you know, after playing three 120-minute matches. It really really showed that, you know, I think they could have probably gone the 90 minutes playing, you know, the compact way they, they do and controlling the ball and controlling the pace more. But when, you know, they had to take the initiative to France more, I, I think you really saw the tired legs come out. Yeah, um, it hurt them. And I think little spoken about is the fact that their semifinal was on the Wednesday, whereas France's was on the Tuesday. If they had been playing 90 minutes the whole way, I, I don't think it, that makes that much of a difference. But given that they played three 120-minute games and they had a day fewer to rest. It the legs caught up to them a little sooner than they otherwise would have. Um the other thing about just the opening of the second half before we get to the goals is it's not gonna be talked about because France won at the end, but Deschamps pulled off Conte in the fifty fifth minute because of his yellow, which to me is is a very, very risk averse substitution, which made no sense at two one. Because 
if all of a sudden Croatia then opens up and scores a couple goals because Conte's not there, it, it looks like he went too early. I, I honestly thought he went too early to take Conte out for the yellow, which I get, but I'd wait until maybe the 70th minute. Yeah, I mean, Conte had probably been the most important player for France, getting them to the final, and I think it definitely seems strange to take him out that early, especially because there's a pretty clear gap in quality between Conte and Nzanzi. It's not like it was, you know, a, oh, they had another defensive mid who, who was really high quality. You know, I don't think is a bad player by any means, but certainly nowhere near as good as Conte. So I, I guess, like, certainly if Conte had gotten another yellow and gotten sent off, that would have been really tough for France. But, I mean, I, I think I would trust Conte to not do that more than I would to say, oh, have an extra, you know, 20 minutes to, you know, 30 minutes of the match left where Conte, you know, isn't in there and you have someone worse in there. So I, I agree that it was a strange substitution. I mean, it ended up working out, but I definitely question it. Yeah, it, it did work out. but And the other weird thing about that sub is that you have Blaise Matuidi already on the field, who is not a natural winger, and actually played that position with PSG in the past and with Juventus this year, where you have players like Thomas Lamar and Usman Dembele sitting on your bench, where you can, you know, if you want to make that sub, pull Conte out, push Matuidi back, and put one of them on the wing, where the game is still kind of in the balance, and attack Croatia when they're open on the counter, just add more pace. So there's, there's a lot wrong with that sub, but ultimately it didn't matter. Because Pogba and Mbappe scored in the space of six minutes. Um, and Pogba's goal started because he hit an insane volley pass to Mbappe, which everyone's going to forget. Yeah, it was certainly, I think, lost in the, the play once Mbappe got up because there was a, a few passes in the box there. And Pogba initially had a shot deflected before he hit the rebound in past Subasic. But yeah, I mean, that pass from Pogba was good. I mean, he's even when he's not playing well, he's always good for a pass or two like that just because his quality on the ball is something you can't really deny. I think, you know, he, he wasn't at his best in the World Cup, but he had his, his few moments here and there, and that run of play was certainly one of them. Yeah, definitely. He, he didn't look good, but he came through, which is what you expect from your stars. So he did his job, realistically, and then... Mbappe's goal, same sort of thing on the counter, just creates a little space against, I think it was Vita and buries it in the bottom corner. Yeah, I think there was some tired legs from Vita there, just kind of a hesitancy to, to really close out. And I get why you're hesitant about that against someone who, who's as fast as Mbappe and who can blow by you if you make a mistake. But at the same time, you know, Mbappe just ha- had enough space at the edge of the box where you know, someone of his quality is always going to have a good chance to score. And I think you could see Vita a little upset about that uh, on his part for not closing out a little more. Uh, another thing with both of those goals is, you know, I wouldn't say that letting them in was, you know, something that was, uh, it was an error on Subasic's part, but I also think it was pretty clear he wasn't moving very well and he, he couldn't really, you know, dive all the way you know, as far as you might expect, and I, I think that injury he picked up earlier in the tournament, it, it was still affecting him, and, and it was pretty noticeable to me. Yeah, it hurts. I, I think that he doesn't save either of those shots 
anyway because of that hamstring injury, especially the Pogba one because he gambled and went right and would have had to plant quickly and then spring off that bad hamstring to even get there. And they were both to his right, actually, so that, that's that hamstring that really mattered. But I think it's a, not a great look in the World Cup final to, you know, not fully extend your arms, even if you're not going to get there. Like, it's desperation. No one's going to going to complain about you like putting your arms out in desperation and just not having long enough arms. And he did that with Trippier's free kick in the semifinal as well. So it Subasic might be a goalkeeper that if he's not going to get there, if he, or if he thinks he's not going to get there, he just doesn't stick his arms out. And I think he was right on all three counts, but it's, it's just a bad look for me. Yeah, I mean, ultimately ended up not, not mattering all that much. But, but just something to note. Uh, and yeah, that put France up 4-1, but not for long because a ball back to Hugo Lloris where he just absolutely misplays it, tries to dribble it around, uh, closing down Mario Mandzukic, and Mandzukic just pokes his leg out and the ball deflects off his foot and into the back of the net, making it 4-2. I mean... That was the one thing we were missing up to that point was a goalkeeper mistake, and we certainly got it. Yeah, it's indicative of the very variable goalkeeping this tournament because the last two matches, I, th- I think Loris looked great. He was unbeatable. And then he does that, which... And Croatia gets kind of lucky on those because they had Willie gift them a goal as well. But this one was worse. It's inexplicable when a keeper of that experience, especially when he came out and um, cut off the long ball to, I think it was Perisic, maybe 15 minutes earlier, came out of the box with his chest and then cleared it. Why he doesn't just kick that away and not risk anything is is beyond me. Yeah, I mean, again, another thing that ended up not mattering in the end, France you know, still had a two-goal lead after that with only 20 minutes left in regulation to go. But, I mean, you know, Yuris, I think any argument for him being the best keeper in the tournament, or, or most of them at least, kind of went away with that mistake. I think it's something that I'm still really not sure. We'll get to sort of the, the awards given out, and, and including the Golden Glove. But I just think, yeah, I agree with you that overall there really hasn't been, you know, any goalkeeper who's consistently been good throughout the tournament and, you know, maybe you could make the case for Uris up until that point, but no, certainly not after that mistake. But that would do it for the scoring. The only other thing I want to bring up, you know, Croatia pushing higher, unable to get a goal. France a couple of chances on the counter, unable to get a goal. In the 81st minute, Croatia made their second sub, uh, Pjaka on for Strinic. Their earlier sub was Kramaric on for Rebic, which they'd made before, which was, you know... Not exactly like for like in that Kramaric is more of a striker, whereas Rebic is more of a winger, but still attacking player for attacking player. Do you think the 81st minute was too late for Croatia to be making the sub to take off a defender for another attacking player? Or do you think it, it didn't really matter that much? I mean, I think it was too late. You go down three goals in the 65th minute, and you don't pull a defender and try and push for it until 15 minutes later. Uh, regardless of whether Manzugic gets the other one back, you still need to score two goals to force extra time, which you probably don't want because your legs are dead. 
So I think you just got to throw on all your attacking talent as soon as possible and try and win it outright. And if you get caught on the counter, you get caught on the counter. They were already playing like that anyway. So I, I think it was a bit late. I think both teams were very, very conservative with their subs. But somehow gave us six goals, which really doesn't fit, but it, it happened. Yeah, I mean, the highest World Cup final in a long time, I think. You know, at least tied since 66, somewhere I saw that for the highest scoring World Cup final. Definitely definitely more, more goals and more excitement than we've seen you know, in the past two World Cups where you, know, you both got... We got both times 1-0 wins with teams scoring an extra time to get those wins. So, I mean, I mean that, that's good, I, I would say. I was glad to see that, even if, you know, not all the goals were especially exciting. You know, a lot of set pieces, the penalty, the Uri's mistake. But, but at the same time, you know, if you told me going into the tournament that we were going to get six goals in the World Cup final, I would certainly be happy to hear it. No, yeah, I, mean, it's, I think it's tied for the second most because Brazil beat Sweden 5-2 in 1958, which coincidentally was the last time a teenager scored in a World Cup final because Pele was 17 and scored twice, and now Mbappe is the next one. And I think this game was very much indicative of what this tournament was. A lot of set-piece goals, a lot of bad set-piece defending. The quality of play was low, but the entertainment, the drama was very, very high. And it, it was good for neutrals, much better than for the past two World Cups where you had very, very stout defensive play um, matching up. So it's, it's good. I think this was the best case scenario for people trying to grow the game in the U.S. without the U.S. actually being there. And they got lucky. Yeah, I mean, it was a good World Cup overall as far as excitement for neutrals is concerned. I, I agree with that, definitely. You know, I think we still only got the one nil-nil game in the whole tournament with France, Denmark in the group stage, I, I think. You know, even games that went to extra time, I, I think that they were, you know, at least 1-1 at that point. So, I mean, you can't really ask for better than that as far as, you know, excitement goes for neutral fans. And, yeah, I mean... It was a good World Cup as far as as far as that goes. Yeah, it it was great. I I enjoyed it. I think I called out a lot of the players for bad play, but it was fun. It it was a good month for soccer. And there's four players that had an exceptionally good month. So we'll go through the awards. The young player of the tournament was Kylian Mbappe. I don't think there was really any surprise there. No, I, I mean. I don't think he was excellent at, at every stage of the tournament. I don't think he was consistently really good, but at the moments where he was, he, he was incredibly exciting. And I think you know, even when France struggled a bit, he, he was always you know, an option there to, to be players with pace and would always offer something even when he really wasn't that effective at creating chances. I mean, I think at his best was against Argentina when he got those two goals. He got a goal in this game, and I mean, he... He showed why he, he's such an exciting young player, probably the most exciting young player in the world. I mean, certainly people have been saying that, and I think it's true. He, he had a good World Cup, definitely. As far as France's attacking players, he was the best. And, I mean, the fact that, you know, I, I've said earlier, you know, the fact that he's in all these, you know, only him and Pele are, are the two teenagers to have done, you know, X, Y, and Z in the World Cup definitely speaks to, to how good a tournament he's had. Yeah, he was great, and I think he was the the player 
out of everyone that was most willing to run at defenders and try and make something happen, no matter what the the run of play is. And he got four goals from it, which leaves him tied for second with in the Golden Boot race, along with Griezmann and Lukaku. So he he was exciting to all those people that don't watch Ligue 1 and don't really know PSG very well. He he announced himself on the world stage. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see him leave France in a couple of years for, for bigger and better things, because he can definitely do it. Yeah, I'd be shocked if he doesn't end up going to either a, a big Premier League club or one of Real Madrid and Barcelona within a couple of years. I mean, I it's even possible this summer, who knows. But, I mean, he certainly deserves that based on how, how he's played, you know, since breaking out for Monaco a couple of years ago. But to move on... The next award is the Golden Boot, Harry Kane with six goals. I mean, I don't think either of us are that excited about Harry Kane's tournament. And, you know, a lot of those goals were from set pieces or or penalties. And there was even that lucky deflection where he really, I don't even know if he saw the ball, it just kind of bounced off of his foot and went in the back of the net. So, I mean, I think you would agree, Jorge, that he was not the best striker in this tournament. At the same time, and I said this, I think, after he got those two goals against T- Tunisia, is I-, I think there's something to be said for Harry Kane getting getting those goals, getting those you know headers when the ball is bouncing around in the box, being able to, to poke a ball in, getting a lucky def- deflection. I think his just he he's that kind of striker where he gets those goals, and I think again he's not the best striker in this tournament. But I don't think you can take away everything from him just because you know his goals weren't that exciting and his play wasn't that good. Yeah, I mean, I had the sense that he was a bit more involved in build-up play with Tottenham, and, and maybe that's on Southgate and the style England played because it wasn't all that expansive and attacking. And I'm also glad that that freak backheel goal didn't win him the golden ball. He won by two goals in the end because he had six and the next three best had four. But it, he was a non-factor at the end. I, he was a, a beneficiary of a soft group. And, I mean, fair play to him. He put away his chances for the most part and then kind of went anonymous. So I, I think it's disappointing for England more than anything to have, you know, someone who was being talked about as the best striker in the world and Real Madrid was interested in him and whatever. And he he doesn't do anything really from from the quarterfinal on. I think that's what England will be more disappointed about than, than anything else, to see him, you know, start so hot and then flame out. Yeah. The one thing I will add is that chance he had against Croatia ended up, I think a lot of people, myself included, thought that he, he shot that off the post and then it bounced off Subasic uh, when there was actually you know, a replay I saw yesterday that Subasic actually stuck his leg out and made a really good save. That ball was actually going to go into the back of the net, most likely, uh, had Subasic not you know, made, made a last-ditch intervention. And then he Subasic ended up kicking the ball off of the post, and then it hit off of him again and, and went behind. So just one little caveat that, you know, Harry Kane, he did get that shot on target at least, and, and it was just a really good recovery from Subasic there. Yeah, I, I think I saw that same slow-motion replay, and I was... 
I didn't realize it because no one showed that slow motion replay. I, it was, I think everyone was more distracted with why is the linesman raised his flag um, versus, wow, Subasic made this insane save. So, I mean, fair play to Subasic. Um, however, it was another Croatian star, Luka Modric, who won the golden ball for the best player at this tournament. And I think I, I saw a tweet that, I think with the exception of 2010, actually, it might have even been 2010, because I'm sure, I think Schneider or, or, or Forland won the golden ball. I think it was Schneider. I think the last six, probably the last six golden ball winners lost in the final, going back to Ronaldo in, in France 98. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean... It, it makes sense of it in that, you know, generally you would think the most complete team is the one who wins the World Cup, and that's certainly possible to have the best performing player. But, you know, it it's also makes sense for someone, you know, Luka Modric. I wouldn't say he carried his team because there are definitely other players on Croatia who, who had good World Cups. I think you don't make the final if you only have one player playing well. Although you can say Messi with Argentina four years ago. But whatever. Um but, but, I mean, yeah, I think this award is, is well-deserved for Modric. He was just everywhere. And, I mean, he he just ran. I think he, I'm pretty confident that he covered the most ground of any player in the tournament. And, and he just, he did so much. He, he scored some goals. He was in so many, pretty much every Croatian, you know, play that ended up leading to a chance. Modric was involved in in, in some way. And I think... You saw more than you do with Real Madrid, just how impactful of a player is, of a player he is. And I think, you know, he's been playing for Real Madrid for a while now. I think, you know, people who follow soccer will know who he is. But I mean, I'm, I'm definitely happy for him because I think, you know, he, he's been such a good player for so long. And because of the position he plays for Real Madrid and being a bit more in the background, he doesn't always get the recognition he deserves. So it's good to see him get that. Yeah, he was great. I, I think earlier in the tournament I said Rakitic was Croatia's best player. And then I think after the quarters, I think Modric just stepped up more and more in every big game and just kind of did it all. And as important as Rakitic and Brozovic were in that midfield, Modric made everything tick. I think everything good Croatia did in in those last three games came from him. So he... He was the best player, and I don't think there's really much debate about it. Despite the fact that he didn't get all the goals and maybe isn't the flashiest, he was the most important this tournament. So good for him. Yeah, and the final award we have, the Golden Glove Award for Best Keeper, and it went to Belgium's Thibaut Courtois. I mean, I feel like this award was given out just based on Courtois' performance against Brazil, which, credit to Courtois, was an excellent performance. And I think normally, you know, just having that one really good game wouldn't be enough to, to get the Golden Glove. I mean, but it, in this case, in this tournament, just because, and I would have to think about it more. I haven't, you know, gone through, you know, every, every keeper and every keeper's performance. But like, like we talked about, it really seems like no keeper was really outstanding, you know, beginning to end in this tournament. So I think in this case, you know, Courtois probably had the best individual performance of a keeper in that Brazil game, and, and I think that might be enough to, to be deserving of the Golden Glove in this case. 
Yeah, I don't know what the criteria is for the Golden Glove. And Courtois was great, especially in, in the later rounds. He, he really picked up his game. But I thought Pickford was equally as good, surprisingly. I thought that Schmeichel was also very good, but he played for Denmark, so no one really paid attention to him. Or Subasic. I think those, those four were probably the standout goalkeepers. But until Muslera messed up that Griezmann shot, I would have chosen him as the Golden Glove winner. But I, I think it, it really reflects how poor goalkeeping was. Yeah. One last thing I want to go over, going back to the, to the final a bit now that we've done the awards. If you're Croatia, I mean, what, what are you feeling right now? Because at, on one hand, you made it to the final, and that's pretty incredible for a country like Croatia, not something a lot of people expected. You had, you know, you came against a bit of tough luck. Are are you more happy you made it here the same way I think we both feel like England should be for making it to the semifinal? Or are you more disappointed because realistically, you know, Modric is over 30. You're not really going to have this core group of players, you know, in their their prime like you did this World Cup. That's kind of it. For Croatia, you would think with this group of players, so this might be their last chance as far as you know being able to to win a World Cup. I mean, so is it more disappointment or more happy to make it to the final? I think in a month they're going to be very very happy to have made it to the final. But right now, I think you're kind of looking at this this squad and you're looking at Modric, who's over thirty, Rakitic is thirty, Mandzukic is thirty two. You're not going to have this team. So I think right now you're kind of hurting and thinking, well, this was our chance. And you're praying that the team can play the same way at the Euros in two years because that's really their last chance to win a major trophy. Um, and then I think it hurts as well when you look at France and you see they won a World Cup final with a striker that didn't have a shot on target in Olivier Giroud. So you, you would have thought, well, they weren't great going forward for the most part, so we could have, we could have beaten them. Because in my opinion, France strung together about 35 to 40 good minutes in this World Cup, and they won it. It it was wide open. So I I think Croatia right now is looking at this as a missed opportunity more than anything. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I I think it definitely hurts if you're a Croatia fan right now because you were so close. I I agree that I think with a little more, you know, a little time passed, like Croatia making it to the final is definitely amazing for them. And... You know, when the when the disappointment goes away, I think you always try to spin it as positively as possible. So I think that's what will end up happening. But but I I agree with what you said that that right now it definitely hurts. For France, obviously, if you're a fan of France, you're very happy. But if you're someone who's looking at this French team from an outsider perspective, I, I saw a tweet. I, I think maybe after the quarterfinal game. Uh, from Rhino Hanlon at the Ringer, and it was something along the lines of, I'm still not sure about this France team, me, after they win the World Cup. And I laughed at the time, and I thought about it after they won the World Cup, because I still kind of feel that way, where I agree with you, there really wasn't that much from France where they looked really good, and they won the World Cup. And I think that it goes to what this World Cup was, where there was really no team that just was, you know, excellent through and through or even solid through and through. I think, you know, the past couple World Cups we've seen with, with Germany and Spain, 
you know, they weren't always super exciting. There were games where they, you know, struggled to score, but they were at least always, at least always they looked like a good team. And I don't think that's the case for France. They you know there were times when they looked like a, a team that was struggling a lot. And, and I think you could say that for pretty much every team in this tournament. So going forward for France, do you think that's just more a symptom of this World Cup? Or is, is France, you know, a team that, that will have high expectations but needs to do something different because it's not going to work in the future? I, I think it's the latter, and I think it's going to come down to Deschamps and the way he set him up. Because if you're France and you have all this attacking talent and you play like that, you're going to be disappointed once the, the high of, hey, we won the World Cup wears off. And I think that the French Federation should look at that and change something, but I'm not convinced that they will because they just won a World Cup. And I think there's a bit of complacency in the soccer world when you get there, especially at the international stage where you are then not tested for another two years. So uh, that's my take on that. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. I I mean, I may be a little less pessimistic in that I think, you know, maybe they figure out a way to keep up this, that the, you know, 45 minutes or whatever where they played really well, maybe they find a way to to get more of that out of the team. And, you know, I think they certainly have good players who weren't at their best this World Cup. I mean, I mean Griezmann, I honestly don't think had a very good tournament. Pogba, I, I don't think so either. And, and, you know, if those players are playing a lot better, that certainly makes France a more dangerous team and a more exciting team attacking-wise, which they definitely weren't always this tournament. So, so I think it's only possible for them to pick it up. At the same time, you know, there's a lot of other teams who, who disappointed too who are always going to be right there with France. I, I certainly don't think France, even after winning the World Cup, is, you know, if we talk about the Euros in two years, I, I wouldn't say at this point that they're the favorites going into that tournament. Obviously, it's a bit of ways away, but there's just so many other talented teams who, you know... I think they have a better opportunity to, to look and figure out what's, what's going wrong, where, where I agree with you. I'm not sure that France will really you know, have that introspection and try to fix any problems they might have because they just won the World Cup. Yeah. A lot of teams have a lot to prove over the next four years is really the, the short of it. So very excited to see how they carry on. Yeah, but that'll, that'll end our discussion for this episode We will be back with one more episode where we will go over some World Cup 11s, sort of the best players for each of us in in this tournament. We'll have that for you in a few days. But until then, thank you for listening as we've gone through the World Cup. Sad that it's over. Uh, Look forward to seeing you one more time.